0: You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. So today we are going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. All right. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, saying, they are filled with new wine. Right. right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for today, and we thank you for the ability to um, just come here and gather and fellowship with one another. And, uh We pray that you bless our time together and that uh, you just be with those who are away, whether it be travel or illness, and just um, bless their days as well. Uh, I pray that you be with Pastor Andrew, and um, we know that you've laid something uh, exciting on his heart for him to share with us this morning, and I just ask that we receive it and apply it to our lives so that we may uh, just bring honor and glory to your name. I thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen
1: transitions in that book. But I don't know about you, but what comes to mind for me when I think about transitional moments or when I think about new beginnings is there's kind of two emotions that bubble up in me. Excitement. And what do you think I'm going to say the other one is? Fear, right? We all have experienced this. Like when you bring a new child into the family um, there's a lot of excitement uh, there. We, we brought a new child in through adoption here recently. Lots of excitement there. Uh, a new child was brought into uh, Tracy Wolf's uh, family. Uh, congratulations, Grandpa, uh, for Elliot and Angela. They brought Elaine Margaret into the world on, on Wednesday. Uh, and there's a lot of exciting things about becoming a new parent. But there's some fears that go along with that as well, right? When you think about, okay, I feel like my resources were pretty much tapped out before this new member came into the family, like in terms of time and energy and resources, and now I'm trying to think about, okay, what does it mean for a new member? That that means a whole new will, (laughs) a whole new stomach, Uh, like all these things are being brought into your family, and there's some fear that goes along uh, with that. Or what about a new job? Like the same kind of emotions happen uh, there, too, I remember when I was called to, to Enclave, and there was a lot of exciting things about coming to Enclave, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but there was also some fears. <laughs> I mean, just not knowing exactly all that went into it, and you know, and it's like, man, how, how am I going to be used? Maybe it's exciting how I'd be used, but maybe I'll feel unprepared. There's all these things that kind of like come together uh, when new things, new beginnings um, happen. But one of the good things... Uh, about being a follower of Jesus is that when God brings you into something new, right, he transitions you into a a new calling, he provides what you need, right? Maybe not what you expect, but he provides what you need, and that is my testimony with every child that's come in, right? He provided what we need. I know with my second-born child, I remember I was... uh, making $11,000 a year, guys. (laughs) I was in seminary, like up to my neck and like things I had to do. My second child was coming. And then I had a new child and a new job all at the same time. But see, God provided, right, for us with this new job. And it was like, it came, there's a saying in Spain that says, every child comes with a loaf of bread under the arm. And basically what that means is like, God is going to provide what you need for the, the calling that he is, he's calling you to. Now, the book of Acts, as I mentioned, is it's full of transitions, full of new beginnings as the people of God are brought from being in the old covenant and transitioning into the new covenant. So, for example, there's a new community no longer organized around the Mosaic law or the temple, but now organized around the person and work of Jesus Christ, the resurrected and ascended Lord. So there's this new community there. That's new. And they have this new mission. No longer are the people of God primarily called to a specific location in Israel. Actually quite the opposite. Now they're being called to go out to the very ends of the world, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And with that new job do you think that there was excitement? Yeah, there was some excitement there, I think, right? Do you think maybe there was some fear? I think so too. Like how, how is that going to work? Like especially when you're in the room, there's 12 leaders, well, only 11. <laughs> there's there's only 12 of you there. There's 120 more. Like this is it. And we're supposed to, now think. now we think about traveling to different places as like, a big deal, but not that big of a deal. But for them, it's like, how are we going to reach the ends of the world? Right? So I think there's some, some fear there, maybe some anticipation of like what God would do. I mean, they'd seen Jesus resurrected. So there was this new community with this new mission that came with excitement and fears. But God didn't leave them alone. Right? He was going to provide power in giving himself. They were actually no longer going to live under the old covenant and the Mosaic law, which was holy and good, right? But they were going to be given something more, God's very own presence to be able to accomplish the mission that God had given them. When Jesus, uh, as he was giving the disciples their great commission in Matthew chapter 28, he told them, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's part of what is going to be happening today and in our, our passage this morning. This new community needs this new power in the presence of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this new mission. And that's why Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem for what to happen. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, to be clothed with power from on high. Or listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. So what we're going to see in our passage this morning is what the church looks like, what happens in the church when this day finally arrives, when the Holy Spirit finally comes And there's this major shift, this major transition in the history of salvation uh, and this new beginning for the people of God. So when we talk about this event that's recorded in this passage, we refer to it as what? Pentecost. Now there's a couple of things that I want to talk about with reference to this event. First, I want to talk about the nature of the event. So that's going to be our first point this morning. Like, what kind of event is this? The second thing I want to talk about is the reactions to this event. There are a couple of those. And then third, and our last point, is going to be talking about the significance of the event. What what does it all mean, basically? So let's think first about the nature of the event. What kind of event is this? So to do that, let's think a little bit about the setting and ask questions about where this happened and when this happened. So our passage began this way in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, referring to the 120 or so disciples of Jesus that are talked about in Acts chapter 1 verse 15, they were all together in one place. So where were they? At this one place. Now, nobody really knows exactly where this one place is precisely, but verse 5 tells us it's in Jerusalem. Verse 2 tells us that it's in a house. Now, it's hard to for me to imagine exactly how this works because this house must have been pretty accessible or it must have been constructed in some kind of way where there was some kind of, it would have the ability for their ex, this exchange to happen between this 120 disciples of Jesus. So it must be a big house just to accommodate that, but then to interface with thousands of people because thousands of people are going to show up uh, in, in this uh, event. So... Somehow, maybe there's a courtyard, maybe they're on the roof. I don't know how that all works, but all the disciples are together in this one place, in Jerusalem, because that's where Jesus told them to, to stay, and they're not where?' in the temple. They're not in the temple. So just remember that. They're in this, they're in this house. So that's where they are. How about when does this happen? Well it happens on the day of Pentecost which is other, you know, it's also known as the Feast of Harvest in Exodus chapter 23. It's also known as the Feast of Weeks in Deuteronomy chapter 16. And what we need to know about the day of Pentecost, there would be a lot, you you could spend a sermon series on the day of Pentecost. But just some of the details that you need to know to understand this passage would be that it's one of three pilgrim festivals. That's one thing you need to know. Deuteronomy 16, 16. Yahweh tells all the male Israelites that, look, three times a year, wherever you are in the world, you're going to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate these three feasts, Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Booths. Right? And that explains why there is this multitude present during this event. Right? So that's one thing we need to know about Pentecost. Another thing we need to know is that Pentecost is named Pentecost Because Pentecostus means 50th. And so this day falls 50 days after Passover. Now, why is that significant? Well, what's interesting about that, and this is just something to tuck away for later, is that 50 days after Passover, do you know where the children of Israel are? They are at Mount Sinai. They are receiving the law from God. Okay, so just kind of tuck that away. Now, there's one other detail that I want to mention. In Deuteronomy 16, 11, Yahweh tells his people that they ought to celebrate Pentecost, quote, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. So now in Deuteronomy, that's an allusion to Jerusalem where the tabernacle and, uh, and temple will eventually like rest. But so that's just another thing to kind of like tuck away, and I think that's going to become important later. So let's think again about the nature of this event. It's a very public event, right? Happening on a very significant religious day, affecting a lot of people, right? So verse 41 tells us that 3,000 people came to Jesus on that day. So this is affecting a whole lot of people. But not only is it a very public event, it's also an unplanned event and a supernatural event. So if we keep reading, beginning in verse 2 now, it says, And suddenly, that's part of the unplanned part, right? And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there's several supernatural things that are going on right now, right? There's the these abnormal sensory elements to it, right? There's things that you hear. If you were there, you'd hear and you would see that you don't normally hear or see, right? This mighty rushing wind throughout the whole house. Then these divided flaming tongues. It's almost like they can't quite describe what's going on. It's resting on people's heads. It's like, okay, that is unusual. I haven't seen that before, right? So that, that's, that's going on. But then there's other spiritual, supernatural things that are happening too. It says that all the people there were filled, these are disciples of Jesus, filled with the Spirit. So in the book of Acts, when people are filled with the Spirit, they are filled empowered to powerfully share the word about Jesus' kingdom, even in the face of opposition. So they're being filled with the Spirit. If you've read the book of Acts, you have certain, you have certain thoughts about what to anticipate after that. <clears throat> so they are filled with the Spirit, and then what that invisible filling, the way that it is manifested at this event, is that the disciples then begin to supernaturally speak in languages that they did not previously know. So like in verse 7, it says, and they, so referring to all the people who have come from all around the world, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? Like, these are not the type of people who know multiple languages, okay? Are they not all Galileans? And how is it that we hear? Each of us in his own natural uh, native language. And then skipping down to the latter part of verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So there's definitely something supernatural that's happening. Now, in January, so I'm going to kick this can down the road a little bit. But in January, I hope, Lord willing, to devote an entire sermon to the topics of being filled with the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit, speaking in, in tongues. And we're going to look at this passage, other passages, and we're going to compare it to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. So, but that, that's in January. But what we need to know for today, right? And what I want to point out for today is that when the Spirit of God came upon his people at Pentecost, right? They bore witness supernaturally to the mighty works of God, which I believe in the context of Acts would include like the things leading up to Jesus and then encompassing the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, what we need to get out of this, I think, is this. When the Holy Spirit works in and through someone, he is going to magnify God and Jesus Christ. He is not going to magnify the person manifesting the gift, and he's not going to bring any particular attention even to the miraculous thing that is going on. Those are things that are pointing toward something greater. The majesty of God, the greatness of God, and what he has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the reason why I mention this now is I think maybe that will help you, you know, as you interface with different things in the world. And people claim, right, look, right now I am manifesting the power of the Holy Spirit. They might, Right now I, I'm manifesting a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the question that you can be asking yourself is, okay, is what I'm seeing, is what I'm experiencing, does, does that edify God's people and magnify God and Jesus Christ. Because if the whole scene is constructed in such a way that it magnifies the person manifesting what they're calling a a gift from the Spirit, then you can begin to be skeptical and say, that's not really what the Spirit does. Right, right. The Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus Christ. He doesn't put the spotlight on the person exercising the gift. Right? And so maybe that is something helpful for you as, you as you interface with different people. This is not something where I'm not giving you ammunition by which to judge people by. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to help you to be discerning like when you come in contact with, with these types of things. But back to the nature of this event. What kind of event is it? It's a very public event, right? It happens on a very significant religious holiday, right? There, there are sensory elements to it. There, if you were there, you would have heard things. You would have seen things. It would have been undeniable what you were hearing and seeing, but it's a supernatural event. There's things that cannot be explained. And, and if you, you would think with all that going on, that surely, surely, everyone present would have the same kind of reaction to it. They would say, man, this is from God, right? But that's actually not what we see. That brings us to our second point. I want to talk about the reactions to this event. And basically, in our passage, there are two reactions. There are those who sort of stand in awe of what is going on, and then there are those who mock. Now, regarding those who stand in awe, we learn about them beginning in the latter part of verse 6. There it says, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, it says at the beginning part of verse 7. Then skipping down to verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So they were experiencing some kind of mixture of confusion, awe, but also curiosity. Maybe they hadn't come to Jesus yet, but they were saying to themselves, man, there are things that I am seeing and hearing that I cannot explain. Now, maybe some of you in the room, like this is, this is the spot where you're in right now. You're not sure about Jesus You're not sure about the Bible. You're definitely not sure about Christians or whether or not you should be associated with them. But you're like, man, but there are things that I have experienced that I I don't know what to do with. Like, I I, I can't just easily explain them away. Like, what do I do with these experiences? And uh, you should come to hear what Peter talks about, you know, next time uh, when we go into the next, next passage. But maybe that's, that's the spot that you're in. Maybe that's your reaction to hearing all of these strange things that I'm talking about now regarding the day of Pentecost back then, right? <clears throat> so that's one reaction, but that's not the only reaction. There were also those who mocked. We read about them in verse 13. There it says, But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. So they, they see all this, and they're like, Those guys, they're drunk on cheap wine. That's what's happening right now. Now, you may be saying, (laughs) you see all that, right? You see people talking in languages that they didn't previously know, like uneducated Galileans, and then people hearing them say things in their own language, and you think that they're drunk? Like, how is that even possible to conclude that? But if you step back and just think about it, okay, Think about your friends, and I can think about my own friends. Like, don't you have some friends that they will readily accept any kind of naturalistic explanation for what is occurring over a supernatural one? Like, every time. And you're like, really? But, you know, how could that possibly, how could those points go together? Like, well, if this, and they have, they can construct. Like, re- like these are our smart friends, right? Like they, can, they can construct like this whole thing about that can explain all the little details and they're like, well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess that's possible. And on top of that, if you think about Jesus, right, and his own miraculous ministry, didn't he have these same kind of reactions? Some people believed. Some people were curious, kind of in awe, kind of perplexed, and Jesus was, Always trying to move them from like, yeah, I know there was this great miracle, but like that's supposed to point you to me. But maybe a lot of the crowds that he ministered to, they kind of stayed in the spot of the first group. But were there some who were opposed? (laughs) Yes, right? He ends up on a cross, right? Even his own brothers we talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? What did they think about Jesus way back at the beginning of his ministry, right? Right? Yeah, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? He is crazy. We need to stop him before he brings, like he taints the family name, right? And then even later in Mark chapter three, what do the Jewish leaders think about Jesus' miraculous ministry? Do they deny the miracles? No. Where do they say the miracles come from? Satan, right? So yeah, like people have always had a variety of reactions to what God is is doing in the world. So there were these two groups. Those who were confused, maybe curious, but then those who who mocked. And the point is this. The Bible teaches over and over and over again that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that. That you cannot see the kingdom of God, the things of the kingdom of God, unless... The Holy Spirit shows you. Jesus talked about that in John 3. That our eyes, our spiritual eyes, are veiled by the enemy until God unveils them, opens them up to be able to see Jesus for who he is. And guys, we were all there. We were all in that spot. So we can't stand in judgment even of the people who were mocking because Before I was a Christian, I mocked Christians, and Christians gave me a lot of material by which to do that, right? I mocked Christians, and I I just, I didn't see. And it wasn't like I one day, like, weighed all the evidence and, like, you know, made a flow chart and all this. No, it's like God opened my eyes, and I was like, what? That's what this is about? You know, and God did it. And so maybe if all that's true, if the, what the Bible is saying is true, then there's no room for Christians to be prideful about their belief in Jesus. Right? Instead of complaining about the mockers, maybe we ought to be praying that God would lift the veil of, so people could see, right? so that they could experience all that, that Jesus, Jesus is. So, so we've talked about the nature of, of this event. Very public, unplanned, supernatural. It's that type of an event. All right? We've talked about the reactions to this event. Some are curious, but the confused, and others are, are, are mocking. But what about the significance? Think about the question that the first group is asking. Like, what is this about? What is happening uh, right now? And that brings us to our third point. The significance. Of the event. Now, there's probably a lot that could be said regarding what this all means. And I won't go into into all of it, but I think the big takeaway is look, on this day, what Jesus promised would happen happened. The Spirit of God came and, and it brought this whole new transition. Like we're in a new era now. Right, where new, exciting things are happening because the Spirit has come. And what it means for us, those of us of this new community with this new mission, is that this new mission, because of this event, became possible. Because the Holy Spirit came. Now when the Holy Spirit came, he came, at least according to this passage, with two primary purposes. He came to dwell with his people and to empower his people. He came to uh, dwell with his people in a new way. So remember when we were talking about Deuteronomy 16, chapter 11, and Yahweh was telling his people, when you celebrate Pentecost, do it at the place, this is a quote now, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Right? Now, in Deuteronomy... That's an allusion to Jerusalem where the tabernacle and temple would come to rest. But where are the disciples right now? They're in a house. Okay. And there's not any real particular significance to this house. Like, I think it's purposely ambiguous about where the house is because otherwise we'd be all trying to get into it, you know, and thinking that's, oh. And it's not like the the tongues, the flaming tongues of fire, it wasn't like there was one and rested on the house. As if to say, yeah, that house is the new temple of God. Where did the flaming tongues land? The people. The people in the house. The followers of Jesus. Because it's the followers of Jesus who then become in the new era of the spirit, the new temple of God. And this this idea is dotted throughout the New Testament. You see it in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 16, and and, and following. Jesus' people are the new temple. Jesus, when he gave his great commission, right, what did he say? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How will you be with us always, even to the end of the age? I'll pour my Spirit upon you. So one purpose that the spirit, in, in the Spirit's coming is to dwell with His people in a new way. But, an, but another purpose is to empower them for a new mission. Now remember what the mission was in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, guys... Notice how God orchestrates things to initiate the fulfillment of this new mission. It's it's pretty surprising and, and pretty profound if you think about it, right? He waits, God waits for the day of Pentecost on purpose, right? He's in control of all things. Acts, that's a big theme in Acts. So he waits until Pentecost, There's a couple of things about Pentecost that we've already recognized. Pentecost is the day where they celebrate God giving Israel the law, which is good, which is holy, but which is powerless to help you meet its demands. And by contrast, God brings the Holy Spirit, which was part of the promise of the new covenant, to say like, yeah, no, this is not just another command. This is a command with power to accomplish it because I'm going to give my very presence the promise of the Holy Spirit. So that's one thing that's going on. But then there's another thing that's going on too. He waits until the day of Pentecost because it is a pilgrim feast where people, Jews, either by ethnicity or because they came into Judaism because they're a proselyte, they come into Jerusalem from all over that long list of hard names to pronounce, Shelby, were from the north, the east, the west, the south, from the ends of the earth, right? Ephesians chapter, uh, I mean Ephesians, we're in Acts, Acts chapter two, verse five. It says that they were come, they came from every nation under heaven. And then it gives that long list of of peoples that are there. Why? So they can hear the good news about Jesus Christ in their own native tongue and then take it to where they came from. Now, okay, so part of what's going on here is God is demonstrating, hey, you know that new mission I gave you? That you're kind of like, how in the world are we going to do that? Right? He's like, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'll use you, you'll be part of it. In like, who are the ones speaking in tongues? Is God speaking in tongues? No, they're speaking in tongues. They're, they're part of it. Right? But part of this is to demonstrate, like, I'm the one who does this. Right? Because they couldn't have planned this. <laughs> you imagine them writing on the calendar, okay, on this day, I'm gonna speak in a language that I did not previously know. Like, what if the, nobody could come up with something like that? Well, why will you do it? Well, because you're going to be people there, and then they're going to send it out to the ends of the earth. Like, no one, no one could plan that. And so God's like, God loves setting this stuff up, right? Like an impossible obstacle course, just impossible. And he's like, watch this, you know? And then the cool thing is that he, he includes us in it, right? We get to be included, right? And it's just this amazing thing. And so at Pentecost, the Spirit had come just as Jesus promised. A new era of the Spirit dawned with, with new power on the people of God so that Christ's mission to reach the nation was now possible. This major transitional moment had occurred. This global mission that he had given to the disciples and now has given to us here in little bitty Turlock, right? He's given the same mission to us. It was always too big for us. Always, but God wants to provide the power and he will accomplish it and we can rest in it. That's why he says, it's kind of the mission. Isn't it interesting how it's constructed? It's like kind of a command, but basically a statement, right? You will be my witnesses. Like, okay, right? Like it's going to happen, right? And so we can rest in that. And if you do rest in that, what that means is, because right? a lot of times when it comes to evangelism and mission work, it's like, man, we got to get it done because a look at all these people who are needy. And, and those things are true in a way. But in this other way, when you think about God's in it, that reframes it, doesn't it? It, it helps us to think like maybe, maybe we don't need to spend all this time strategizing. They couldn't have come up with this. Who knows how God will accomplish this in Turlock, in our midst, in Stanislaus County, right? And so what that does is it takes the the pressure off so that the new mission, the new job that God gives us, it's not excitement and fear. It's just excitement only. Anticipating what God will do, right? As As we come together and we pray and are open, God, do whatever it is you want to do. If you want to to use me to talk to my friend from Iran, an Iranian, I don't see how that's possible. But why am I going to limit what you can do? And so we can just ask God, God, please come. We want, man, wouldn't... Can you imagine if three, how many people are in the, there's probably what, 70 people in the room, so half of the original 120 that were here. Right? So let's half the amount of people that replied in verse 41. Like, can you imagine Like, if we went out today and we're just praising God, we're not even trying to reach people, we're just praising God, and then 1,500 people came to Jesus? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that we can pray for, that, man, can God do it again, do it again here? Today, we celebrate communion. And part of what communion is about is this is how God procured the promises of the new covenant, which include the forgiveness of sins. Yes, it does. But it also includes the giving of the Holy Spirit. The writing of God's law, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of our own heart to cause us to walk in. In his ways. So let's remember that as we take the bread now, which represents his body broken for us. And as you take the cup, we remember his blood. Shed for us for the remission of sins to give us the promise of the Holy Spirit. Take and drink. Let's pray together.